Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, well, thanks for joining us for another edition of American Potential. And I'm at the All Staff Retreat in Orlando, Florida, for Americans for Prosperity. And uh, just it's, every time I come to one of these, I'm amazed at the number of people that uh, and how big this organization is. And so it's great to be there. And we thought we'd use the time to talk with some real great patriots that do the work of freedom day in and day out across America. And I've got one today and, and real excited about it. Some people, you know, get involved in politics because their city, their state, the federal government's passed something and it's, it's going to negatively impact their life. And then there's others that are get bitten by the political bug and just love being a part of the process. Today's guest started getting involved in politics while in the eighth grade and he was able to intern on a U.S. Senate re-election campaign. We'll talk a little bit about that. Since then, he's gone on to work on other campaigns, but also got involved on the grassroots side and was able to stop a tax increase and amazingly got a bill passed that allows college students to have due process in Kentucky, a free speech issue, really. Today's guest is that young man who was able to make changes for his state and his community, Liam Gallagher. Liam joins us. Thanks, Liam. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me on. Okay, so the first thing I have to ask you, and I saw this uh, this question was just amazing. Um, your dad painted a portrait of Michelle Obama, right? Yes. And it hung in the White House yes. for eight years. Yes. But that's not really the greatness of the story. So start with that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my dad, he was an executive recruiter by trade, um, but one day got into the, the, the art world, decided to start painting. Um, in 2004, I was three years old, but he saw the 2004 Democratic National Com uh, Convention speech from Obama, uh, decided that he was going to be the next president and started on a portrait of Michelle Obama. Okay. Um, fast forward, Obama's running for president. My dad paints that, finishes that portrait. Um, and makes friends with, just by happenstance, uh, President Obama's former campaign manager. Uh, gives it to the Obamas. The Obamas win. Uh, we actually get to meet the president when he comes to Louisville. Uh, myself, not knowing much about politics, but knowing that I, at some point in my life, wanted to serve in the U.S. Navy, told him that I voted for John McCain in my first grade election. Uh, and so, you know, not many people can tell, yeah. tell the story that they told the president of the United States that they voted for their opponent. Yeah. But, but six-year-old me thought that it was a, a good idea to do. That's great. What was his reaction? He laughed. Everybody around him laughed. And uh, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a fun time. But I, I will never be doing that again yeah, if I ever I meet imagine. a president again. Yeah, but that's great. Is there a video of that or do you know? No, there's no, no there's no video of it, sadly, it. but uh, <laughs> it, it's a fun story because we were in Louisville. There's a gentleman by the name of Matthew Barzen, uh, who's a big Louisville, um, you know, political donor, but really philanthropist in Louisville. And he ended up becoming the ambassador to the United Kingdom. 
So six-year-old me and my father were sitting in line, wrapped around the block to come in and see Barack Obama. And Matthew was friends with my dad. Matthew came, escorted us via golf cart to go meet President Obama. So at six years old, I was being escorted by the ambassador to the United Kingdom or future ambassador to the United Kingdom to go meet the president of the United States. Wow. And then I told him that I was voting for his (laughs) opponent. Well, I give you... High marks for courage. Absolutely. So at six years old, especially, yes. that's great. Um, did that did that play a part in you getting being interested in politics? Yes. So that was kind of the political bug that bit me. From yeah. then on, it was always, you know, uh, I, I met the president and I wanted to be the president then. <laughs> um, I've got a little more realistic expectations now, I'm just trying to pass good <laughs> policy. But that was really what started it. And from there, you know, you could never stop me from listening to talk radio after that moment. Mm-hmm. Kids in my, you know, middle school, high school, whatever, they like to watch ESPN. I would watch Fox News. Yeah. So how did you, how did you develop your views in politics? So both my parents were rather conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that I got a lot of it from them. Sure. Um, but a lot of it was also exploration. And um, I went to a school that had some liberal teachers. Uh, and so naturally I would fight back against them just because of what, um, you know, my parents had taught me. And that yeah, but really, not naturally, Liam, yeah. like a lot of kids don't fight back. That's true. So what made you do that? I you really think? like to argue with people. <laughs> okay. and, and Nothing so, wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so it was just, uh, you know, I started to develop this, this need to, to say something when I disagreed. Um, and that need developed into, you know, what I am today. But really it came with a uh, teacher would say something I disagreed with. I would say I disagreed. And then I would cement my own opinion more through an argument with them, whether it be in class or outside of class. And you had a teacher who was a socialist. I did. I did. So my eighth grade history teacher, he was uh, a little on the the left side of Uh liberalism. Yeah. Um, And he he was a great guy. He, He did. We disagreed a lot. Um, he didn't try and enforce his opinion on students, but he made sure that students, you know, were able to back up what they wanted to say. So if I was disagreeing with him on, okay, lower taxes are better for, for working people, he would make sure that I actually knew what I was talking about. I wasn't just saying it because a parent told me. And that same teacher was, was the reason that I really started getting involved in politics. He, um, he was friends with somebody on Rand Paul's re-election campaign back in 2016. Um, and so right before I left eighth grade, he was like, hey, go to this interview. Uh, I went to the interview. Um, I forget exactly, but I may have told them I was in high school already. Um, and they gave me an internship on Rand Paul's re-election <laughs> I, campaign. You forgot. You yeah, may you have know, told I them may that. Have, you, know, you never know. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. I got you. But at least the teacher, even though he disagreed with you, it sounds like, he was someone who encouraged you to have your own thoughts. And Absolutely. Be able to defend those. Yeah. And he was a catalyst for me getting involved on the conservative side of yeah. politics. When I was in college, I had a professor um, and he had a bust of Vladimir Lenin on his desk. So he was he was a hardcore. Right. Uh, and this was actually before the fall of the Berlin Wall at the time. And I, I would always walk to class and and. I would see him, and one day I saw him driving, and he was driving a Mercedes-Benz to, to class. And so I got to class, and I raised my hand, and he called on me, and I said, you know, doctor, 
you talk about so about communism and how great it is, but you know, what about the fact that you're driving? Why would you drive a Mercedes Benz? Oh, in the Soviet Union, everybody would have Mercedes Benz. I'm like, well, how come they don't? You know, yeah. I mean, it was so. It's interesting when you have someone like that, but they do shape you. Mm-hmm. Now, my my professor wasn't as kind as yours was. <laughs> it sounds like he he really encouraged you and developed you, which is that's what education should be about, right? Exploring your own thoughts and ideas and being exposed to others as well. Um, so, so that had, um, that had a profound effect on you. Eighth grade, you interned on a campaign. What was that like? It was interesting. I was the youngest person there. Um, I had never been involved in anything political before besides, you know, watching the news or, um, and so it was definitely a culture shock when they're asking you to go out and knock doors in a neighborhood you'd never been to or make phone calls, but it really allowed me to broaden my horizon. Um, there's, there's nothing better to develop communication skills than jumping on the phones and calling random people, asking them to vote <laughs> for your candidate. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that, that it really was, it, it kind of, of when when Rand won, and of course we knew Senator Paul was going to win, but when he won, and he won by 20 points uh, in 2016, it was like, wow, I was a part of that. I may have been only one percentage point yeah. or half a percentage point, but I was a part of that, and, and the work that I did helped that happen. Yeah. You know, what's what I love about this story, though, too, is the fact that you can make a difference, right? By you getting involved, I mean, you, you, and let's, we'll talk about this a little bit, but you helped stop this tax increase, right? And you helped um, pass this due process uh, legislation. And, and I don't know if that stuff would have come about if it hadn't been maybe for that, that teacher you had, right, who kind of pushed you a little bit, uh, your parents' interest in politics and you getting that bug and saying, I'm going to take action. And that's, that's what this podcast is about, right, is people – understanding that and and deciding that they're going to make a difference individuals making that difference let's talk a little bit about um the insurance premium tax and and what you all did to stop that so uh 2019 the city of louisville was faced with a 60 million dollar budget shortfall um louisville's budget's about a billion dollars i believe each year um, Sixty million dollars is a large chunk of that. They needed to come up with a way to either cut spending or increase God, God revenue. Forbid, yeah. Cut the yeah. spending. Yeah. God yeah. forbid. Yeah. Cut spending <laughs> or increase revenue. Right. Um, you know, going back to right after Rand Paul, right after I left his campaign, I started um, just volunteering with Americans for Prosperity. Um, we knew up until 2019 when this happened, I was still volunteering or working part time at some instances, but we knew that this was coming up. We didn't know how they were going to try and try and either cut spending or raise revenue. Uh it was maybe a week whenever they were legally required to put it on the agenda for the city council meeting was when they did it. The mayor put on a three times increase of the insurance premium tax. Most people don't know what an insurance premium tax is. All I knew at the time was that it was taking $150 more a year out of my mother's pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is for everyone in the city of Louisville. Uh, I thought that it was absurd. I thought that, you know, there are so many things that we could cut out of our city's budget that are just wasteful. 
Um, and so my, my grassroots engagement director in Louisville for AFP and myself developed a plan to say, hey, let's call these people, let's text these people in certain city council areas, in certain city council districts, where we thought that the council person was not necessarily fully on board with the mayor. Right. Um, and that's what we did. And I got 10 of my high school buddies, football teammates who all needed community service hours. Uh, and they came over and, and they were like, so what are we doing? I'm like, we're trying to stop tax increase. They're like, okay, we, we hate taxes too, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and we called and texted thousands of people over a three day period, um, connecting them with their city council member and saying, Hey, tell them to vote against this. Uh, and it was defeated. The Louisville City Council defeated it. A Democrat council defeated their Democrat mayor's tax increase proposal. Not only that, but um, the mayor went on a, a tangent the next morning, calling out the members of the council, saying, "You know, we're going to lose so many, so many valuable services. This, that, and the other thing." They they cut spending, and and nobody nobody felt it. Yeah. Um, so, so they ended up yeah. figuring out a way to close that budget gap without imposing that $150 fee on, fam Absolutely. on families across the city. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny how they do that. It's funny how they, they scream and they, they, they cajole and they do everything they can to try and not cut spending. Yeah. But when it gets right down to it, just like a business, there, you know, there is waste, there's inefficiencies that they can find and it seems like until you uh if that pressure is always taken off with the tax mm -hmm. increase government never gets more efficient yep. and so it's a good thing to to do that so that was a great victory i mean i'm sure you guys were thrilled about it you probably even had people who came in and made calls for community service and then thought, well, this is pretty cool. We won. Did you have folks who did that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think the best part about it all, besides saving everybody $150 a year, but the best part about it all was um, right after the vote happened, uh, our GED Texas grassroots engagement director Texas almost like this was because of you with a screenshot of the vote board. Um, and that was kind of like, for me, that was a huge win. And yeah. that was the first time that it ever happened on a policy issue. But there were kids that came came in who, who made texts and who made calls who are, are still working with me today. I've got a, a young man, he's not yet 18, but so he's, he's still volunteering. But in my role at AFP now, he's volunteering with me almost every weekend because yeah. of that. Yeah. Such a great story. And again, this is, this is the point of this podcast is to, to show you Liam's story, to inspire you to make Liam's story your story, right? To, to stand up and fight against a tax, a tax increase that you think is going to disproportionately hurt families in your community or, or whatever that issue is, but to stand up and make a difference. And that's, that's what's so great about Liam's story and this podcast. Uh, another idea that you, you all advanced and got passed is the Kentucky Due Process Protection Act. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I came into college during COVID. I graduated from high school during the COVID-19 pandemic, came in during COVID. Um, it was a challenging time for everyone. Uh, it was especially a challenging time on college campuses. Mm -hmm. um, the University of Louisville, where I went to school, decided that they wanted to remain open. 
They did that, though, with extremely strict COVID-19 policies um, that did not seem to be applied fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so out of this, I, I had become friends with a gentleman by the name of Michael Frazier. In Kentucky, we know him as the free speech guy. Um, because back in 2019, while I was helping defeat the tax increase, yeah. he was passing the Kentucky Campus Free Speech Protection Act um, out of some of his experience from the University of Kentucky. But he had a new bill on the horizon, and it was the Kentucky Campus Due Process Protection Act, which um, they had been trying to pass for two years. It was almost the perfect storm with COVID. Um, he calls me one day and says, hey, do you have any due process issues on your campus? And I go, well, absolutely. You know, so what are they? And I explained some of them to him. For instance, my fraternity was suspended for, quote unquote, having a party. We never had a party. Um, they just suspended us because we were a Greek organization that they didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend who was suspended for having a birthday party. He had nine of his closest friends over to his house off campus, not on university property, and and they tried to suspend him. Um, And so it just became this issue where the university was all powerful. There was was nothing that you could do as a student. Uh, Your livelihood, the tens of thousands of dollars that your parents or yourself were paying to go to college were at risk, and there was nothing to protect you. Uh, It's almost like... We're not, the bill wasn't saying that you have a right to be a student. It's almost like with uh, a lawyer, right? You don't have a right to be a lawyer. You don't have a right to pass the bar. But once you pass the bar, you have a right to fight to keep your license if you're accused of wrongdoing. And that's all we were asking for for, uh, for students. Um, and so the bill, uh, 2021, was House Bill 145 in Kentucky. It was just generally a protection for students. It laid out that they have a right to uh, a a trial, um, Mm -hmm. so to speak, a discipline hearing. They have a right to confront their accusers. They have a right to see the evidence in front of them. Generally, all the things that we would just expect in a a trial in in America, right? right? You have due process rights. You have the ability to defend yourself. Something that wasn't standardized in Kentucky state law. Uh, We got it past the House, then it died in the Senate. The universities were extremely opposed to the bill because the bill removed uh, their their ability to claim immunity if they they decided to violate a student's due process rights. Um, So then we went back. We gathered stories from around the state similar to mine, but worse than mine. Um, Students who their university decided to follow them on security camera and just wait until a moment they pulled their mask down because they were causing political problems on campus. Um, and it was stories like those, stories of students who were being persecuted on their own campuses. Targeting people based yep. on their speech. They would target yep. certain people and then hit them with the violation yep. of removing Absolutely. their mask. But if somebody else of a different political mm-hmm. persuasion removed their mask, they wouldn't be targeted. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. And so it, it was these stories in the conservative legislature that is the Kentucky State Legislature that got the bill passed. Um, and it was it was one of my honors. I worked with both myself uh, as the president of the College Republicans 
and the president of the college Democrats got together and, and lobbied on this bill. Um, we gathered 76 separate student organizations, everything from LGBTQ organizations to Young Americans for Freedom to everything across the aisle to get this bill past the finish line because we felt that it was so important. Due process isn't isn't just for Republicans. It isn't just yeah. for dem- Democrats. It's for everybody. It's for America. Yeah, for, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's great. I, I love that you built those coalitions because those are really important to, I think it, not only does it build bridges, but free speech is, it's, it is one of the most important rights that we have, right? Of those first amendment yeah. rights, free speech, freedom of religion, the rest as well. But to, you don't want those to be only defended by one political party. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you built a coalition and that's what made it probably possible to get it passed, right? Is that you built this large coalition, diverse coalition of, of other groups, but it also shows every American how important free speech is. Um, and college campuses, they, they just across the country seem to want to wipe out freedom of speech, it seems like, in, in so many cases. It's, it is something, it's a problem we're seeing across the country. Um, I'm lucky I go to the University of Louisville. We have a generally good free speech policy. Uh, but no matter how good a school's free speech policy is, it does nothing to stop students who disagree. And, and that's the problem with politics in America today is when you have students that wholeheartedly disagree so much so that they feel it's a personal attack against them, they then believe that it's their right to shut down your speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that becomes a problem. Uh, it becomes a problem because people believing in a heckler's veto when you don't have free speech, you can't have a civil democracy. You can't right. have, uh, you know, all the things that we know to be American today. You can't have them. Um, without free speech, there's no innovation. Without free speech, uh, you can never fix government because, you know, God forbid there's there's an authoritarian in power. Without free speech, how are you going to tell everyone he's an authoritarian and, and create a campaign to get them out of office? Um, and so it is scary that that college campuses, which at one point in our history used to be the beacon of free speech, the beacon of, you know, these these liberal um, philosophies, you know, classically liberal things that, that we call our civil rights and civil liberties in the United States are now regressing back to, you know, times before you or I were both born. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's important, I think, for for all of us to understand, you know, you, you see where a, somebody will come to a college campus and there'll be protests and then, and, and protests are fine. That's another form of free speech, but trying to shut down that speaker, um, you know, from, from, from speaking. But what you get it, when you do that oftentimes is, you know, this cyclical effect, right? Okay, well, they're going to get shut down. We're going to shut them down. And that is not American. I, I don't want to take away someone who I disagree with. I'm a, I happen to be conservative. I don't want to take a liberal person's right to free speech away. And so we've got to be uh, vanguards of that. We've got to really guard that, right? Guard against that. So, and that's what you're doing with this legislation, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the due process bill was, 
it's instrumental in protecting free speech on yeah. campus because we had the Kentucky Campus to, uh, Free Speech Protection Act, right. which was important in saying that, okay, these universities have to protect free speech. But what happens if they don't, right? What happens if instead of prosecuting somebody for speech, they prosecute them for something else because of their speech, mm -hmm. right? And that's what the Due Process Protection Act does. It says that, okay, I went and called out my university on this day last year, and because the university is still mad about it on this day this year, they can't just come and willingly just kick me out without me having the ability to defend myself. Um, and so the due process bill, and that's what we, you know, referringly call it, just the due process bill protects students against that. And it's something that it's the largest campus due process protection act passed in the country. Um, the Kentucky state legislature took a step, you know, in the right direction passing it. Uh, it's a model that other states should use. Because conservative legislators, liberal legislators, whoever wants to protect free speech, they can pass a bill saying, well, you must protect free speech. But what's that do if the university really has bad intentions? And I'm not saying that any, any of our schools in Kentucky did, but if they did, this is the next step to protect yeah. it. So did these universities, these public institutions, did they, they lobbied against this, fought against it? How hard did they fight? They were they were opposed to it. Yeah, uh, they all had publicly stated positions against it. Um, but interestingly, when we testified, when the cameras were on, there wasn't a single university that stepped up and tried to to speak out against the bill. Hmm. What university is going to stand up and say, "I don't want my students to have yeah, uh, right. due process rights"? Yeah. Right, but. They they were in everyone's office every day trying to defeat this bill. And the real reason is because the bill says that if you go and the University of Louisville willingly uh, violates my due process rights, then I have the right to sue them. Mm -hmm. I can sue them and they can't claim immunity. And that's why they were against it. They were trying to get that provision removed. Yeah. Um, you know, if it wasn't for the team we had led by Michael Frazier, um, you know, we had so many great people on board that that were able to stand up to the universities. I was just a student. I helped. I had the honor of carrying it through the legislature, testifying, being able to talk to senators and House members about it. But there were so many people that made it a reality that were that were not afraid of the universities, that had gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with these universities before. Um, and we were accused of trying to attack these universities, but in reality, we were just trying to make them better. Um, you can't have, you know, this liberal arts education if students are in fear of being kicked off campus due to the retaliation. Yeah. Yeah. You're making it better. And I mean, you look at it, you've made it life better, really, for students at all of these universities. They may not know your name. They may not you know, know of the impact that you had, but you did still have that impact. And there are people today who are positively impacted by the passage of that. And, you know, that you talked about, they didn't want to be, be liable or be sued because of this legislation, but that's such a, that's such a check on the system, right? That's a balance that we need to have because if they know, if they, if they know that they aren't going to be sued for this, then what's the point of protecting People's due process rights, right? Yeah, there's nothing going to stop them. Yeah. That's that's how it worked 
pre prior to the due process bill, uh, there was no standardization in state law about what needed to be in a code of conduct uh, when kicking somebody out of the university or suspending them. But each of these universities had provisions that, quote unquote, protected due process. They didn't, though. Right. right. And so if there wasn't the ability to sue the university to hold them accountable, which is what it really is. Right. There's nothing that's really enforcing them to actually follow the provisions because they put the provisions in themselves. Mm -hmm. They just didn't follow them. The, I think the the best story is, is is my friend that had a birthday party for himself. He shows up to the disciplinary hearing, which is over Microsoft Teams, and no one's there. They tell him to get on at this time on this date. And no one is there. Wow. And then two two hours later, they email him and say, well, you didn't show up, so here's your punishment. Uh, and I'm like, that's not due process. Yeah, that right. is that is trial by the dean of students. Yeah. Um, and nobody else. You know, one person at each university is the judge, jury, and executioner. And so that's what we were trying to stop. Yeah. Wow, that's that's incredible that, that colleges and universities would even fight against that. But... Uh, again, thank you for for the great work on that. That's uh, that that is really making a difference in people's lives. So, do you um, tell us what else you're working on now? What else you're doing? So we've got a few things. Uh, we've got an extension to the Free Speech Act, um, which would just you know further say that that we want free speech on college campuses in Kentucky. It would remove the ability to use a free speech zone, so on and so forth. That's a big one that's coming down the pipe. Um, the Kentucky legislator has always sided with students on free speech, um, and I'm hoping they'll continue to do that. Um, Beyond that, we've, we're, we're fighting Americans for Prosperity Kentucky um, and myself are fighting certificate of need laws in the state of Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, they're a big health care issue. Basically, certificate of need laws create state-run monopolies um, and they, they don't allow for, for other providers to come in and provide health care to people. They drive up the cost of health care. They drive down the quality of care. Um, and it's something that Kentucky needs, needs to change. Yeah, that's great. All these things are things that you're making a tremendous difference on. You know, I, by the way, on the, on the free speech thing, I was going to ask you one other question I forgot to ask. Did the sky fall like the university said? Like, were they just inundated with lawsuits and, or, or not? No, no, they have not yet been sued. Right. When the Free Speech Act passed in 2019, they claimed the sky was going to fall. When the Due Process Act passed in 2022, they claimed the sky was going to fall. They claimed that if the Free Speech Act passed, that they were going to have homeless people sleeping on their campuses. That didn't happen because it was public property, and so that's now protected speech. Uh, it's it's always worst-case scenario for yeah. anybody lobbying against a bill. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it's never been been worst case scenario we've yeah. got more free and open dialogue on our campuses yeah. now more than ever yeah it, well it's the same as your city council right yeah. on the tax increase it yep. was you know we're not going to be able to water the parks we're not i mean yeah, it, yeah. it's going to be terrible we're going to have to shut down the golf courses yeah, the golf courses will shut yeah. down and then lo and behold the tax increase doesn't pass and they find a way to get it done they always right do. they always do yeah yeah they, they can't Government loves to tell me to balance my checkbook, but then when we ask them to balance theirs, they refuse yeah. to do it. Well, what I love about your story, Liam, is not just that, you know, I, it, obviously you're a warrior in this and seems like a happy warrior to, to be in this fight. 
but you're changing this not just for you you're doing it for the your fellow citizens of your state of your of your city of your state and of your country and to me that's the story here right is that every american think of the world we'd live in if every american cared the way that that you cared or that so many of the people who work here at americans for prosperity you know care um how important is it? I guess I'll ask you that kind of as the last question. How important is it for people to get involved in, in these issues, whether as a volunteer or staff, or they don't have to dedicate their whole life to it. You know, you can still be an accountant and and do this on the side, but you have to care about your country and your community. Yeah, it's extremely important. Um, the, the example that I use when both talking to kids about it and, and talking to grown adults is in Kentucky, we have 138 state legislators uh, between the House and the Senate, 100 in the House, 38 in the Senate. Uh, when you're talking about a state representative from Kentucky, our, our state capital is in Frankfurt, a state representative from Louisville. All right. That's a 45 minute drive. How many people do you think from that state representative's district are going to come and see that state rep during a legislative session right. or talk to them? Very few, maybe a hundred. So if you're one of those hundred, you're 1% of the people that are reaching out to that decision maker, uh, you know, during a legislative session saying, I'm voting for you if you vote this way, or I'm voting against you if you vote this way. That part's extremely important. Advocacy is extremely important. Getting involved, volunteering is extremely important because without people, you know, politics wouldn't exist. Politics, people often say politics is a money game. Sure, money has influence. But you could have all the money in the world. If you don't have people supporting you, you're not going to win. Right. You could put $100 million behind a candidate for a single state representative district in Kentucky. Right? It would a thousand times outpace the most expensive state rep race that we have right now. But if people don't support that person, they're still not going to win that seat. And so people are what drive policy change. People are what drive politicians to get elected. Um, and people are what drive the communities in which these politicians have to go back to to get reelected. Yeah. And it's amazing the impact. People don't realize, like, these legislators, when you contact them, that is what makes a difference. I mean, it is that grassroots contact because most people— they may represent, as you said, a, a big group of people, very small number will contact them on an issue. That moves them, doesn't it? It does. It does indeed. And, and the crazy thing, for example, in Kentucky, when you're in the Kentucky State Capitol, if you call and say, okay, I want this legislator to support this bill or this legislator to vote against this bill, what they do, and I'm sure a lot of state capitals do this, but they have green slips and red slips, right? And so somebody writes the name of the person that called, their address, and the message they wanted to leave. If they support a bill, it's a green slip. If they want to vote against a bill, it's a red slip. You'll be amazed that you'll walk into a legislator's office on a Monday morning and their desk will be filed full of green slips or red slips. And when a legislator walks in and sees a thousand red slips for a bill, that's going to give them a second thought about voting yeah, for that bill. Right, right. So yeah, no, we, people reaching out to legislators, people reaching out to people in government really does make a difference. Yeah, it really does. And all it takes is the courage of a six-year-old boy to tell a president of the United States, I voted for your, I want to vote for your opponent. <laughs> yes. That's all, That's it, all takes. it takes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it takes less courage yeah. than that. That takes yes. a lot of courage. Liam, thanks for all you do. And thanks for being with us. Today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. So 
You, you heard Liam's story. I hope you have your own story and that you will uh, take a moment of your busy day, of your busy week, month, year to get involved and to make a difference for you, for your family, uh, for your neighbors, your community and your country. And it's really important that you get involved. And that's, again, that's what we talk about on this podcast, emp- empowering people, removing those government imposed barriers for folks to, to, to be able to get involved. And that that's what's most important. Thanks for joining us on American Potential. Join us on YouTube channel. All of these are now video podcasts. You can watch them on YouTube. Um, I've been enjoying that. I, I love podcasts and the audio podcasts, but it's so great to, to watch the interaction on uh, these interviews as well. And, uh, you know, Matt West, who's our our producer here, our board operator, he does such a great job in editing those. And and uh, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, there's, there's so many ways to interact with the show. Love to hear from you. Send me an email, jeff at americanpotential.com. Be a great way for us to connect and tell us your story. If you've got a story like Liam, where you stood up and you made a difference, we want to hear that. We want to highlight it uh, for, for our listeners. Thanks for listening to American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.